0: My name's Neil, if I have not met you yet, so uh, I will uh, let you know who I am. We're uh, wrapping up a series this morning uh, in um, called Our Father, and so we're going to um, be drawing that to a conclusion. We've looked so far at a God who cares, we've looked at a God who uh, challenges, a God who corrects, and today we're going to be looking at a God who is in control, and so uh, i first verse I'd like to look at is a, is a verse that uh, Paul mentions over in 1 Corinthians ten, eleven, And Paul says this, he reminds the believers that are in Corinth about those who've gone before him that the scripture record. And he says this to them. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I I grew up with uh, five siblings. Three of them were much older. Two of them were about my age. And um, every time the older ones would come to visit or every time I would go to visit them, one of the things that was true was I was always picking up something new. I would pick up some new phrase, much to the chagrin of my uh, mom a lot of times, or I would pick up, you know, uh, a new habit or I'd pick up a new idea or Or I would pick up something uh, oftentimes by what they said, but more often than not, not by what they said, but I just watching them and just learning from their example. I began to pick up some things. Now, as we wrap up today on this series, you know, what we want to look at is a God who's in control. And one of the things that God has done is God realizes, just like any good father, that one of the best ways we learn is by example. And so what he's done is he has given us things in Scripture where we can look at circumstances of people's lives. We can look at choices they make. We can look at uh, things they go through, and we can learn from their example, and we can really have our lives changed as a result. So when you tend to think of life, what it looks like when God's in control, what do you, what do you tend to think of? I want you to think about that for a minute. When you think about God being in control, like if I say to you, you know, hey, how's the week going? You say, Oh man, yeah, great. God was really in control. Usually what we mean by that is something like this I got the job, then I got the raise. Yeah, and everybody at work likes me. It's all going great. Yeah. Or I got a date. I got a second date. Her parents like me. You know, I mean then you know that's just huge. We we begin to think things like or you know, I went to the doctor. He said, hey, everything was contained. I don't think we need to do anything else. I think you're good. You 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 can go ahead and go. And we're like, oh. And we tend to think along the lines. Or our kids. You know, we look at our kids and we think they grow up. They actually graduate. Uh, they have great families. Uh, when they're not being professional athletes, they're doctors. And, uh, you know, and, and so we know God's in charge because that's how life goes, isn't it? I mean when God's in charge, when God is in control, that is how life goes. And that's what we tend to think. We tend to think that, you know, when when God is really in control, everything is kind of going our way. Rarely do I ever hear anybody say something like, "Man, um, this week I lost my job. My daughter quit college, moved in with some psycho drug dealing guy. It's obvious God is at work." You ever heard that? No. No one says that. I mean, for them, you know, anything happens, life is falling apart. In fact, for me, the thing that is amazing is so often it can take the least little thing to throw us into a tailspin. And we begin to question, where's God? Well, what happened? Why, why isn't, why is why isn't God doing something? Why isn't he in control? What, what is going on? And, and we get twisted up about this over and over. What I do see is this. That is not the example that we see set for us in scripture. And if we'll go to scripture and we'll begin to look there and find out, okay, what can we glean from these people's lives? We'll come back with a much different picture. So I had several, several people that I wanted us to look at this morning and finally I thought, nah, they don't want to be here till tonight. So we'll, we'll take this down to two. So all we're going to do is look at two, two different people in scripture this morning. The first one is a guy named Joseph. Now, I'm not not Mary and Joseph. This is uh this is Old Testament Joseph, okay? So this is a guy. I mean, you probably remember him with a Technicolor raincoat and stuff. You know, that's the guy. Okay. So he's the guy, you know, he's Joseph and he starts off life on his measure or our measure, anybody's measure would seem really good. I mean, you know, he's he's there. He's in a family that, you know, has brothers that, you know, all all around him and stuff. His Dad, he's got everything taken care of for him. I mean, even he's considered dad's favorite. Everything's going well. In fact, the brothers don't really like that that much, which you'll find out. But, you know, he goes on, and then um, his brothers begin to really get annoyed with him. Now, this puts sibling rivalry at a whole new level, okay? I mean, some of you may have disagreed with your brother or sister. Rarely did you think, at least I'm hoping, rarely did you think, let's kill him. You know, uh, you know, so Joseph finds himself in this. He's gone out to work with his brothers. They're out in the fields tending the, tending the herds and he goes out to check on them. And when he does, he's going along and they go, here he comes. Here comes the old dreamer. I'll tell you what, let's, let's get rid of him. So first of all, they throw him in a hole and he's in the hole and they're, they're sitting there and they're trying to decide, fill in the hole, go ahead and just kill him. Uh, and then one of the brothers, you know, one of the very, kind mercenary brothers, uh, says, hey, let's not kill him. We can make money. And so they pull him out of the hole and they sell him to some people that are passing through, going on down into Egypt. And so, you know, that's, you know, you you look at him, you think, wow. I mean, if that's all you went through in your life, you'd be seeing therapists for years. You know, I mean, just that. You know, just dealing with, oh, my gosh, my brothers threw me. I mean, in fact, none of you probably, well, I'm not going to ask, but I don't think many of you would say, you know, "My, my siblings threw me in a well when I was young and sold me. You know, that didn't happen. But, you know, he deals with this. Then he goes down, and he's put in charge of this guy's house. He goes in to work for this guy named Potiphar. And he goes into his house, and he excels in everything he's doing because of his character, because of his skills. He's put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, except for Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is, I mean, we don't know much about her. You know, I mean, she, we don't know what, she may have been, you know, like gorgeous. She may have been like different. Uh, but she was, you know, she pursued him all the time, that we do know. Uh, she pursued him, and as she begins to pursue him, you know, he keeps saying, no, 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 no. And finally one day she says, you know, You need to come in here and hang on. He's like, no. And so he takes off. She grabs his coat. And then she tells her husband, hey, the guy you brought in here to take over the house, he came in, tried to rape me this morning. And he's like, oh, my gosh. So he throws him into prison. Now, think about if you're Joseph at that point. Are you thinking, hmm, I mean, if it's you, if you're Joseph, God is in control. I do the right thing, I excel, I do everything I should, and I can go into prison. No, we don't tend to think that way. You know, now he gets into prison and he again excels because of his character, because of his giftings. He does very well. He's put in charge of a many, many things in prison. And he's there. And while he's in prison, he has the opportunity to help a couple of the guys interpret these dreams for them and helps them with that. And he tells them, hey guys, when you get out, Do not forget me. You know, get me out of here. And they're like, no problem. There again, they forget him. I mean, not only is he sent to prison, but they forget him. And so you look at his life, you think, wow, what in the world? This guy has been through so much stuff. One day, he's in his cell there in prison, and all of a sudden... One of the guys does remember that guy can interpret dreams and he tells the emperor about this and the guy sends for him. And Joseph goes from being a prisoner to being second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at the time in one day. Now his brothers, his brothers have come down. Joseph, give you a short synopsis of this. Joseph has told this king, What's going to happen is this. There's going to be this great famine in the land. And uh, if you don't do something right now to begin to store up for this, everyone's going to die. And so he says, well, who else would know better how to handle this except for you? I'll put you in charge. So he does. Joseph saves up all of the grain for like six, seven years. And then when this great famine comes upon the land, the only country around that has all of the grain to take care of people is egypt and so he begins to dole it out to people in fact he begins to sell it to people for their property and everything else egypt begins to expand and own everything so joseph begins to do this and who comes to see him except for his brothers who have sold him into slavery years before now because of the way the egyptians were they dressed up in all this garb and all this makeup and stuff like that his brothers don't realize that it's him When they come in and so they come in and they ask for all this grain and stuff and he sells it to them. And eventually the Reader's Digest version of the story is they go back and forth, back and forth. And finally he reveals himself. The whole family comes down and they move into Egypt with Joseph. And so they're there. His dad comes down, who still thinks of him as the favorite, comes in. He's so happy. He gets reunited with him. And then his dad dies. And when his dad dies, his brothers go, hey, uh, fellas, dad's dead, and the guy who's in charge is Joseph. Maybe we should tell him, hey, right before dad died, what he said was, play nice with your brothers from now on. Do not ever treat them bad for what they did to you. And so they're like, yeah, okay, let's tell him. And so they go to Joseph and they tell him this. They say, Joseph, you know, hey, right before dad died, and they lie through their teeth, you know, and tell him this. And Joseph looks at him and he just kind of smiles. And then he says this in um, Genesis 50. He says, do not be afraid afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Joseph's thought in looking at his life, God's in control. When he was in the pit, God was in control. When he was in the prison, God was in control. When he was in, you know, the the palace, God was in control. God was in control in each one of those situations. He didn't see them as different. He didn't see them as like, over here, God's really reigning, but over here... I'm on my own. But he saw it as God is in control. Another one, another example in Scripture would be Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament that you see, what you see with Paul is, you know, when he starts off, he starts off a persecutor of the church, and then if you remember the whole story, he's he's going to persecute some Christians, and on the road to Damascus, you know, uh, the spirit of God uh, begins to speak to him and, and, and Paul ends up, you know, falling off of his uh, uh, camel or donkey or whatever he's riding. I can't remember. He falls off of that. And he, he actually uh, comes to a relationship with God right there. And he actually decides, Whoa, this, this Jesus who I've been persecuting, I need to stop this right now. Now, if you look at Paul's life in the years, immediately following that, I mean, it's looking pretty good. I mean, Paul's welcomed in to the community. Uh, if you go up, there's others that really come in, come alongside him, begin to encourage him. He has, if you look at his life overall, he has all of these friends. He has all of these people that he's built into. He's really got a rich life. But he also had hardship. In fact, when he's talking to the believers at Corinth, he says this. Five times... I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, the reason they gave 39 lashes was 40 lashes, if they gave them, it killed many people. And if you ever made a mistake and you gave someone 41 lashes, then you were put in their spot and you got beaten because, you know, you didn't want to take a chance of killing someone. So they only gave 39 just in case they miscalculated and were supposed to give 40. So he says, you know, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Now, you think about that list for a minute. I, honestly, if like one or two of those things happened to us, we'd be freaking out. Where's God? How can this possibly happen? I thought he was in control of things. Now... Did did Paul see him as in control? Well, as he's writing a couple of years later to a guy, Timothy, that he built much into, he says this. Now you, following my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. So, you know, I read that, and as I was reading it, I thought, wow, you know, Paul looking at it says God's in control. And he says, you know, man, whether it was in, in in this area, this area, this area, out of them all the Lord rescued me. So I went back to the book of Acts where Luke writes down all of these journeys that Paul's on. And I began to look to see those three times that Paul talks about. Here's what you find when you do. As I look back, first of all, they go into Antioch, he and Barnabas, and they're, they're sharing the gospel with the people there. And then Luke records this. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. So at that point they leave, they move on to Iconium, and there they began to share some more. And things are going well for a while, and then this happens, and it says, And when an attempt was made by both the Jews and the Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. So then you fast forward. Okay, he's been in Antioch. He's been in Iconium. Now he moves to Lystra, and he's in Lystra. And at that point, Paul and Barnabas are there, and there's a guy who, who's lame, and Paul uh, and them... Uh, uh, speak to him and he's healed. And as they do, all this crowd begins to go, oh my gosh, these guys are amazing. And Paul's going, no, 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 it's not us. It's not us. And about that time, this is what Luke records. He says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now I read that and I thought, now wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Paul just said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's true. What tends to happen as we walk with God is this. Two out of three times, God delivers us from something. One third of the time, God delivers us through something. But in every one of those times, God is in control. See, we tend to think God is only in control when he's delivered us from something. No, God's in control when he's delivering us through something just as much. God is in control. Now, in the midst of our hardships and trials that we face, you know, our tendency, you know, is to feel God is either not in control or to feel like if he is in control, he's somehow forgotten us. He just just forgot about me. Paul's position is... When life seems out of control, God isn't. When life seems out of control, God isn't. He He trusts God just as much when everything seems to be falling apart as he does when everything is going well. In fact, if you ask people who have gone through some really, really hard things in their life... Um, when was it that it was like the worst moment for you? When when was it that it seemed like, you know, the darkest time, the most hopeless? Most every one of them will say, you know, when the news came, and it just seemed overwhelming. It seemed like the world was out of control. It just, nothing, um, nothing to do. Didn't know what to do with that. And if you ask those same people, When was the time when, um, for you, God seemed the most in control when he spoke to you in ways that really assured your heart? They'll say, oh, same time. You're like, hmm? Same time? Yeah. Same time. You know, when things seemed the most hopeless, boy, that's when, you know, they're, they're really wondering, what in the world? But at the same time, that was when God became the most real in their life, when he really began to make an impact. Now, this wasn't only true in biblical times. This wasn't only true during the times the scriptures were being written. This was true later on. In fact, in in like 1940, there was this lady that was living. Her name is Cory Tim Boone. And she worked with her father. She was a watchmaker. Now, Hitler was moving through Europe at this time, um, having a genocide of, of Jews and, and trying to take over country after country and this. And so... The Tim Boone family, what they did, they hid this whole bunch of uh, different families of Jews. In fact, they saved approximately over four years about 800 uh, Jewish people that were, were being uh, sent to this Holocaust. They, they hid them. If you ever have a chance, you ought to read a book about it called The Hiding Place. It's a great book I'll tell you about this. But they hid them. One day, <clears throat> one of their neighbors turns them in. They find out they're hiding Jews. And so they turn them in, and the Gestapo comes, and they haul them off. And Corey and her father, who was very much older at the time, he was in his 80s at the time, and her sister are all taken in and thrown into a Nazi prison camp. And if you begin to read about their life, you begin to find out, well, I mean, they suffered all kinds of things, all kinds of things, uh, disease, abuse, lice, freezing cold, malnutrition, uh, thing after thing after thing. Her father died shortly thereafter, her sister died. If you were to ask Corey, hey Corey, is God in control in this? I mean, for us looking at that, we're like, are you, what in the world? How could, how could that be? Corey, she goes through all that. After that happened, shortly after her sister, um, dies, she, by some clerical error, instead of being sent to the gas chambers with the others that were in her age group, She gets released, and she's free to go. When she reflects back on life, she writes this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future. Hmm. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, does being in charge, does being in control... Mean that nothing happens that God doesn't want to happen? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because God has also given us the ability to choose things. So we can choose things that he may not desire at the time. So what does it mean? What does it mean for you that God is in charge? What does it mean for you that God is in control? Well, one thing it means is this. First thing, when life seems out of control, God isn't. When life seems out of control, God isn't. You know, you may find yourself in a situation right now that hurts. Or you may find yourself in a situation that really doesn't make sense to you. Or you may find yourself in a situation you just flat out don't like. And you're just really struggling with it. But what you need to remember that in the middle of that, God is there and he's in control. The second thing is that you have hope. Now, not... Hope in your circumstances, but hope in the one who is in control over your circumstances. You have hope. In fact, what you'll find is often people, when they go through something, they'll tend to accept it, but they don't accept it with a sense of hope. They just accept it with a sense of resolution, like, well, that's how it is. You know, you know, that's how it is. You just have to deal with it. And uh, this thing is falling off of my ear. I'll get it back. There we go. So they have this kind of a a thought of, you know, well, that's just how it is. You just have to accept it. No, you need to accept it with hope. That makes all the difference in the world. Because when you accept your situation with hope, what you find is this, the third one. And that is you realize God has a plan and he will act. God has a plan and he will act. Now, it may not be on the same timetable. That you were thinking, in fact, rarely is it because we tend to have kind of a timetable laid out for God exactly how we think he ought to do things and when we think he ought to do things. But what you'll find is if you will trust him, he is in control and at exactly the right time, exactly when it's needed, he will act. So how do you begin to live out God being in control of your life? I'd like to talk about that as we begin to address the fact of next steps. You know, what are kind of the next steps for you? How do you begin to live that out? For some of you, you have experienced the same thing that all of us have in that, you know, you face an unknown future. I mean, every single one of us here, every man, woman, and child, you know, faces an unknown future. But for some of you, what you don't have is a known God. You have the unknown future, you just don't have the known God. What I would encourage you this morning, maybe the next step for you, would be that you would begin a lifetime of getting to know, love, and learn from him. You would apprentice yourself to the one who's in control and begin to learn from him. So, you know, you might even begin that today. You might decide today, hey, you know what, I want to begin to get to know Jesus. I want to begin to really learn to walk with him. And I want to learn how to trust him because he's the one who's in charge. For others, um, you need to be reminded that when life seems out of control, God isn't. And so as you face a family situation or as you face a health situation or a job or a relationship or a school situation, you need to know that God is in charge and he will act and he will cause all of those things to work together for good. At exactly the time it should. And he will cause those things to really be a benefit in your life. If you will trust him. And if you will walk with him. And thirdly, for others, you need to begin to live out the reality of Romans twelve one and 2. Paul says this to the Romans. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let me tell you for a minute as we kind of wrap up, this is kind of how I try to do that, how I try to live out Romans twelve one and two. The very first part is you see the first word, therefore. Whenever you see therefore, you need to see what it's there for. And so you look at that word, and it refers back to the verse before it in chapter 11, verse 33, where Paul has gone through and described this is who God is, and this is what he's like. And that's why we can trust him, and that's why he's in control. And he says, therefore, and he begins, you know, present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, what he says is this. Once I remember who God is, my natural response is a life of trust and obedience, a living sacrifice, a natural response of trust and obedience. Secondly, one of the things I see from this verse is that it's not enough to just change outwardly. I need to be changed from the inside out. I need to really cooperate with God and work with him on seeing myself and seeing others and seeing the world in the same way he does in looking at it from his perspective. And lastly, I realize that I need, as I realize this and as I live it out, then what happens is I show myself, hey, you know what? God's will is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. The word perfect, it's a word that means complete. Good means it's good no matter what the circumstances are. It's good. It's good. It's acceptable. It's something you delight in. And it's complete. And you look at that and you think, wow. And what ends up happening is this. There's kind of a circular thing. The more you realize that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect, the more you want to learn from him and obey him and yield to him. And the more you learn from him and obey him and yield to him, the more you realize it's good and acceptable and perfect. And it just keeps going around and around and around. And you begin to grow in your relationship with him. You begin, as Paul says, to be transformed. And that's what we want. Now, for you, I don't know. For me, I need reminders. You know, um, so, for me, I, I walk around every day, you know, like I'm walking around campus, I'm, you know, walking around wherever, you know, usually around campus. But I, I'm there, and as I'm going around, there's all sorts of things that are vying for my attention. And so what I try to figure out, how can I turn those everyday things that vie for my attention into reminders of the very thing I need to remember? God is in control. And if I will walk with him and yield my heart to them and to him and, and live out Romans twelve one and two, then I can really experience life like he wants me to. And so what I always do is I remember this. There's the next one right here. Let me see. Where's our next slide there? He's coming up. There it is. Ah, see, you look and you say, really? Sweatshirts? You look at sweatshirts? I do. I look at, you know, because every time I look at this, I think of, Good, acceptable, perfect. The will of God. That's good. And, uh, you know, so as I walk around campus, as I walk at the mall, as I walk anywhere, I see that every time I see that sign, I think good, acceptable, and perfect. That is the will of God. And you know what? Therefore, I want to pursue that, and the more I pursue it, the more God really shapes and changes my life. Whatever the next step is for you, as Corey said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So, as we kind of wrap up on this series, I want us to remember, you know, the very things Jeep has been talking about. You know, He is a God who cares. He is a God who challenges. He is a God who corrects. And He is a God who's in control. He is our Father. Let's take a minute. Let's pray. We'll welcome the band back up. Father, thank you. Thank you for... uh, the way that uh, you work in our lives father in, in areas where we consider uh, we consider them really kind of uh, out of control hopeless uh things that we did not desire and yet you father are moving along perfectly in tune with exactly what needs to take place and father help us to see that help us not to depend on circumstances help us not to be uh uh, thinking that, you know, when everything's going well, you are in charge. But when things begin to falter, oh, you, you, you've somehow forgotten us or left the scene. Father, help us to trust you just as we see those who've gone before us do. And help us never to be afraid to trust our future with you, knowing that you are in control. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.